Alright, so this morning we're going to be in Mark chapter 4. I'm not going to do uh, the entire chapter, but I'm going to do nearly the entire chapter. We're going to be looking at verses 1 all the way through 34. Uh, We're going to do it a little bit um, out of order. We're going to kind of jump around a little bit. Um, There's reason for that. Um, We're going to first kind of look at the idea of why did Jesus use parables? Why did he speak in parables? And then we're going to look at some of these parables after that. So if somebody, um, I need three people, somebody read verses 9 through 13 in chapter 4. Somebody else read 21 through 25 in chapter 4. And someone read the last two verses there, 33 and 34 in chapter 4. So chapter 4, 9 through 13, 21 through 25, and 33 and 34. But he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the spell asked him about the parable. But he said to them, The year has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, undertaking ten parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive. And may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? 21 through 25. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket, or under a bed, and, that, and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to be If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. The measure you use it, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. 25 also? Yeah. For the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even more what he has will be taken away. And then the last two verses, 33 and 34. With many such parables he spoke the word to them. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples. Okay, so to kind of start with, I want to kind of talk about a timeline of Jesus' ministry, His life and His ministry, um, to kind of give us a perspective here of what's going on with the parables. So obviously He was born, He lived about 33 years um, before when we saw earlier in Mark, He was baptized by John. Shortly after that, He began to teach and preach publicly uh, to many great crowds and to many people. Um, most of his teaching centered on the Old Testament. He, he taught doctrine, he taught theology, he taught propositional facts. But up to this, in this first two years of his ministry, he did not speak in parables. It was all very propositional. It was straightforward. <clears throat> then, in the last year of his ministry, is when he began to speak in parables, publicly. Obviously, he has lots of conversations with the disciples, Um, and his close followers um, that are straightforward. But in his public ministry, he begins to speak only in parables, those last two verses say. 
metaphors, stories, uh, and so on. So I, I think it's important we kind of see that here. And I want to ask the question, why do you think Jesus transitions from preacher or teacher to a storyteller in his public ministry? How about this? Was his previous ministry a failure? Was this two years that he was doing these things, did Jesus perceive what he had done for these two years as a failure? Not sure what you're saying. Sorry. Well, I mean, the first couple of years he focused on doctrine and theology and facts from the Old Testament. And then he starts speaking in parables, which is not like historical or, or information they already had access to. Mm-hmm. And your question is exactly what? It wasn't a, I was answering Okay, okay, okay. You said why. Perfect, all right. <clears throat> so... Many people today think that there's reason to use new methods in preaching and teaching in order to draw people in. How about that? By that time, he had already drawn the people in that were divorced and parted. Yes, we're, we're two years in here. And that's important. And what Woody said is very helpful. He was not trying to make all he had said and done up to this point more accessible. He was not trying to bring more people into the kingdom. He was not trying to make these things easier to understand. On this day that we're looking at here in Mark 4 and in the other, uh, in the other Gospels, this same day, Jesus is doing something very different. He's beginning to divide the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. For two years he had been teaching plainly and clearly. He had fully and satisfactorily sorry, revealed himself to the crowds and to the Pharisees. And for two years the Pharisees have been trying to trap, accuse, and discredit Christ. They had set up, as we've been seeing, all these extra laws and rules surrounding the law and trying to accuse Jesus of breaking these extra things that they have set up. And if you remember last week, after two years, they decide that Jesus is saying and doing and everything according to the power of Satan. They have blasphemed the Holy Spirit, and these people that have decided this about Christ, the Scriptures say, are beyond redemption. So why did Jesus speak in parables? So that those outside the kingdom who hear them can't and won't understand. Parables are intentionally divisive. That's their intention. On one side, they're very instructional. They give spiritual insight into what the kingdom of God is like to believers, to those who hear. They reveal, they explain the kingdom of God for this group. But for this group, it does two things. It exacts judgment, but it also gives mercy. 
Let me explain that. Parables are judgment against willful, hard-hearted unbelief. These men, these people at this time, had rejected this clear teaching of Christ in His first two years of ministry. But it's also a mercy, these parables are, to the unbelievers. Because if they continued to hear the teaching of Christ day after day and continued to reject it day after day, they would reap judgment upon judgment upon judgment upon themselves. So by Christ using these parables to harden their hearts, He's really showing them mercy so that they won't be judged to such a degree. Uh, in verse 12, Jesus uh, quotes Isaiah. He says, They may indeed see, but not perceive. They may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Uh, from what I read, Jesus quotes Isaiah 6, this part, at least six times in the New Testament in his teaching. If you remember back to Isaiah chapter 6, leading up to 6, Israel was under the judgment of God. The Babylonians had come, they had destroyed the temple, they had massacred thousands and thousands and thousands of Israelites, and the rest were hauled off into captivity. Let's look over at Isaiah 6. It's fairly short. Somebody want to read Isaiah 6 loudly and clearly? Thank you, brother. Tree 
or as an oak tree, whose stump remains when it is cut down. The Lord, the holy seed, shall be its stump. All right. Thank you, brother. So after Isaiah had been cleansed by the Lord and the angel uh, putting the coals on his mouth, God sends Isaiah to do this very thing that Jesus is doing, to preach judgment on the people of Israel. He tells Isaiah that that the people have not understood what is going on and that they will continue to not understand because of the judgment. Uh, and And he sends Isaiah to preach this judgment because right there at the end, because of a remnant. Because some will hear by the power of God, repent and turn back to God. Okay, so I'm going to transition a little bit um, away from this timeline and thinking about these things and talk for a little while about what parables are um, and how they function so that when we get to these parables, we can understand how to interpret them. Um, Like I said, first, uh, the the parables are purposely divisive. That's their function. They're a warning to those outside the kingdom. They harden and exclude those outside the kingdom. And they're a blessing to believers, but they're a judgment for unbelievers. Uh, The second thing is, we'll see as we read through these parables, that the parables reveal the hearts of the ones who hear them. That's their job. There's great emphasis on the response of those hearing the parable. And I would just like to say, according to that, that everything in this life depends on our response to Christ, according to His Word. So the main thing parables do, if you hear nothing else this morning, when you come to the parables, hear this, they reveal one characteristic of the kingdom of God. Almost without fail, at least one, usually one, characteristic of the kingdom of God, sometimes more. When they're explained, parables reveal spiritual truth. That's their job. Important spiritual truth. The parable tells us what no one, or he says in this section here uh, that we read, that it's spiritual truth that no one in the world understands. It's a mystery that's been revealed to us, but we understand. God has granted that we know the mysteries of the universe. In this text that we're going to read this morning, we're going to see that Jesus had to explain these parables to the disciples. So I think a question we need to answer is, how can we hope to read, understand, and apply the parables without Jesus here to explain them to us? They didn't understand without an explanation, so how do we? We Yeah, most of the time we get an explanation. Like the parable of the sower here in chapter 4, we get the actual very clear explanation. Most of the time, or at least some of the time, we don't get the straightforward explanation, though. So how, how, how can we hope to interpret them without Jesus here? One way is to look at other portions of Scripture that deal with that particular issue and then compare the two. Yes, Woody. I think one of the differences between us and the disciples is we have the whole of Scripture, we have the Gospel, and we have salvation. We have the Spirit. All parables are about the Gospel. They are about salvation. They are about the Kingdom of God. The more we understand those three things, the more we're going to be able to read parables and understand them. All parables, if it's easy to remember it this way, all parables are Gospel illustrations. They illustrate some portion of the Gospel, of the Kingdom of God. 
They're all doctrinal. They're all theological. They're all soteriological. They're all propositional truth to those, again, who hear and understand. So, how do we interpret parables? Well, I think one thing that we have to make sure we know is we know what they are literarily. What, what is a parable? Um, how to read and interpret and understand parables biblically. We want to be good at that. In verse 9 he says, He who has ears, let him hear. So I think most of all, we have to understand that we have to <laughs> listen. We have to hear. We have to discern. In my study, one of the commentators I was reading said that he was pretty sure that this one statement, he who has ears, let him hear, Jesus repeats this exhortation more than any other that he said. He who has ears, let him hear. And again, if you remember, if we look back to the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, it's a lack of receptivity to this calling, to this word, to the gospel. It's a failure to hear, listen, and understand Christ. All right, so, next sheet. So, literarily, what are parables? I said there were gospel illustrations. They're word pictures. They're long similes. They're long metaphors. Um, They're a story laid alongside a truth. It's a comparison between the activity and the story being told and Jesus' understanding of the kingdom of God. And they're laid right next to each other to display how they're similar. If that's helpful to see. And they teach, as I've said before, almost unequivocally, one primary thing about the kingdom of God. There are, for sure, subordinate details and points, but they all support this one thing. They all point to it. There's not different things. And the reason I bring this up is uh, Patrick brought up Pilgrim's Progress this morning. That's an allegory. Just about every part of that story, some part of it means something else. And that's not what is happening in the parables. They don't have to be decoded. Um, They are um, different in many ways. Uh, the, the the parables in the Bible are allegories, though. Not in the, every detail stands for something else, but at least several of the details in each parable parable function metaphorically. They point to a second level of meaning in the story. They get this second level of meaning they're pointing to, which is specifically aspects of the kingdom of God. So, any questions up to this point? Any thoughts? Any confusion? I hope I've been helpful. I have a thought. Um, so you've said a few times that the parables divide kingdoms. Uh, that is causing me to think that these dividing kingdoms and those that are now in Christ uh, are to be living in a separate Very. 
We're trying to transform as much as we possibly can the kingdom of this world into the kingdom of God. Trying to redeem it. That's the cultural mandate. That's, That's the cultural mandate in Genesis. We're trying to go out in and find areas of culture that are redeemable for Christ and effect change. And that would mean being and working in government, politics, public school systems, and the like. Obviously, we do a great, 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 great deal of that in raising our children and sharpening them, as we talked about in the men's meeting the other night, as arrows to fire out into the culture. All right. All right, let's look. Who let's look at the parable of the sower. Um let's would somebody read one through nine and thirteen through twenty. Please. Again, he began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him. So he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd and he was teaching many things and parables his teaching. And in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path. The birds came, devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And then the sun rose, and it scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Other seeds fell into good soil, and produced grain, growing up and increasing, and yielding thirtyfold, and sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears, let him hear. Thank you guys. So I'm going to try to breeze right through some of this because we're already 20 till. Um, so we've got the sower, we've got the seed, um, we've got the four soils, uh, we've got the seed that falls on the path. Um, it's inevitable this was going to happen. The plow wasn't there. It was hard packed. Birds came and devoured it. We've got the rocky ground. Uh, it's a 
thin layer of soil on top of a bunch of rocks. So when the seed sprouts, it has no root structure, no way to gather moisture. When the sun's come out, it scorches it. Um, the seed among the thorns. Um, the thorns grew fast, choked out the grain, and then we've got the good soil. The good soil was prepared to receive the seed. It had been weeded, it had been plowed, it had been watered. The seed sprouts, it has a strong root system, it grows up, it create, uh, it grows its grain and produces fruit in varying amounts. Okay, so basically one through nine. Uh, then we got verse 10. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables and said to them, and so on and so forth. So there's a little bit of a transition here. One through nine, and um, then starting again at 26, um, all the way through the end of our section, Jesus is speaking to the crowds. But from 10 here through 25... He's just speaking to the disciples and he's just speaking to a few other followers there, faithful people. And I, I think that's important to think about um, as we look at this. Um, so this is whom's getting the specific explanation. Um, many of us have understand this parable. The sower is God, Jesus, and more specifically us sharing the gospel with people. Um, the <clears throat> soils are the different ways that people hear the different ways that people receive the gospel. Uh, the seed is obviously the gospel. It's God's word. Um, so let's talk about the path for a second. So, so those that fall on the path. These are the people that hear, but immediately Satan comes, uh, takes away the word that was sown. The rocky ground, they hear, they receive it with joy, they're excited. But tribulation and persecution arise on account of the word. They fall away, as Jesus explains here. Um, the The Seed that fell among the thorns, money, desires of this world, choke out the word, and it proves to be unfruitful. And then simply the good soil is those who hear, accept, and bear fruit. So, with all of this in mind, as we read through, as we think about these things with this explanation, we can come up with a main point. And the main point of this parable is that the word of God is proclaimed and causes division among those who hear. God's people receive the word, respond to it, understand it, and obediently fulfill it, bearing fruit. Others fail to listen because of either their hardened heart, a basic superficiality, or some vested interest in riches or possessions. So, Jesus does a really great job of explaining this one to us. Comments, questions, thoughts? No? All right. Sure? Okay. Let's look at verses 21 through 25. I'll go ahead and read this one. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket, or under a bed, and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use it, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, everything will be taken away. So again, as I said, this section is still just of the disciples and that very small group of people, those faithful followers. Um, it's just kind of a selection of varying various sayings of Christ that Mark has pulled um, from different times in Christ's life and kind of put together 
Um, but he did it for a purpose. There's thought connections all the way through this that are tied to the parable of the sower. And Mark is very intentional about pulling all these things and showing them to us. So the parable of the sower had a great emphasis on bearing fruit, right? Only after the seed had fallen upon the good soil, meaning that the word had entered and affected the well-prepared and willing heart. What do you notice about this room? Give me some observations. What do you see? Mm-hmm. I was just noticing that earlier. It's full of people. What do you notice now? Pretend it's really dark. <laughs> Can't see anything, right? Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Praise the Lord. All right. <laughs> I wouldn't want to turn that off. All right. So the main point of this parable, what I'm trying to get you to see is, is that fertile hearts produce fruit, much like lamps produce light. Fertile hearts produce fruit, much like lamps produce light. You didn't notice the light, right? Like when you normally go into a room, you don't notice the light. The light isn't trying to draw attention to itself. The light brings other things into view. It's bright enough to let us see, but it's not supposed to reveal itself as the thing that you should notice. I brought a flashlight, and I debated about shining it in all of y'all's eyes, but I'm not going to do that. I just turned off the lights back here instead. Um, But you shouldn't notice the light. It's not supposed to distract. It's supposed to reveal. Our light, our fruit, which is produced by God's Word working in our lives, is not only for our benefit, but it's for the benefit of others. We are not obedient followers of Christ so that others will see us. So that others will pay attention to how great we are, but rather that we bring God's kingdom into better view for those around us. We are to be lights. Skip down. Jesus asks an obvious question. Should a lamp be put under a basket, under a bed? No. Should a lamp be put on a lampstand? Obviously, yes. Alright, I'm going to skip down some here. Let's uh, let's skip down to look down at verses uh, 23 and 25, or 23 through 25. He says, again, he says, if anyone has ears, let him hear. And then right after that, he says, pay attention to what you hear. What you what we do, what we hear, has real consequences and real benefits. What we listen to matters. 
just like Patrick was saying in his sermon, what what we let in will affect us. It matters. So we need to be listening, reading, seeking to understand and apply the scriptures. It's incredibly important. Don't just sit back, as Patrick said a few weeks ago, and rely on this morning to get us through the week. To fill our spiritual appetites. We have to do the hard work. We have to dig deep. And then I would also encourage you not to take everything that you hear. Um, We listen to a lot of podcasts. We read a lot of books. Don't take everything we read and hear at face value. Uh, Compare it to God's Word. A good rule is if it's a new interpretation, it's probably garbage. Um, Only read old dead guys. I know that you've heard us say that before many times. So listen and think about what you hear and understand. Uh, Would somebody read verse 24 again? I want to read a section here uh, that Hendrickson, this is a commentary that Patrick and Woody and I and Adam are all kind of sharing, uh, using together to kind of lead us through this study. That way we're all kind of tracking the same way. And he he does a really good job of explaining this verse. And I just want to read out of this. Uh, so if you'll just bear with me for a moment. God's gifts are always most generous. He is forever adding gift to gift, favor to favor, blessing to blessing. He gives not only of his riches, as a billionaire might do when he gives a dollar to charity, but also according to his riches, the riches of his grace, Ephesians 1.7. He imparts grace upon grace, John 1.16. He not only pardons, but pardons abundantly, Isaiah 55.7. He delights in loving kindness, Micah 7.18. Before they call, I will answer... And while they are still speaking, I will hear Isaiah and Daniel. When he loves, he loves the world. And when he gives, he gives only his begotten son, John 3.16. That son, moreover, not only intercedes for his people, but ever lives to make intercession for them, Hebrews 7.25. Truly, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. More besides shall be given to you. When Abraham's servant asked Rebekah for a drink, she not only quenches his thirst, but in addition also that of the camels. This is not only a faint reflection of what God and Christ is doing constantly. He not only grants Solomon's wish for wisdom, but in addition promises him riches and length of days in 1 Kings. He not only accedes to the centurion's request to heal the latter servant, but in addition pronounces a blessing upon the centurion in Matthew 8. He not only answers the plea of Jairus restoring the life of his daughter, but in addition sees to it that the child gets something to eat in Mark 5. He, the resurrected Christ, not only fulfills his promise to meet the disciples in Galilee, but in addition meets and blesses them even earlier in Jerusalem. He not only pardons the sinner as a governor might grant pardon, but in addition adopts him and grants him peace, holiness, joy, assurance, freedom, freedom of access, and super invincibility. Romans chapters 5 through 8. I just wanted to share that with you all. That was, I couldn't have said that any better, and I really enjoyed reading it. So, are there any thoughts or questions so far? Yeah, my 
Uh, the light was kind of more of the first part there. Um, I skipped over some of this uh, 23 through 25. Um, but the idea is, is that the blessing and the the blessing the Lord gives to us, the understanding that He gives to us through His Word, the more we use it, the more we grow in holiness, the more we understand, the more we can continue to share. Um, the accountability piece there, too. Yeah. Like if we go back to the sower of the seed analogy, if we water the plant, it grows bigger than this. Where are we? Wow. I'm just going to have to stop. I've got so much more. Maybe I'll just pick back up. Maybe I'll divide this. Is that all right? Keep going next week. Okay. All right, let's stop there. We'll pick up in uh, the parable of the seed growing in verse 26 next week. All right.